Grace on Fire, episode 72. You're listening to Grace on Fire, home of Grace Nation. It's not just another podcast. It's the voice of a movement. Join now at MyGraceNation.com. MyGraceNation.com. And welcome to Grace on Fire on the Thanksgiving week. I hope you're getting fired up. I know I'm fired up. It's easy to get fired up with this kind of music. And hello, Grace Nation, and welcome to the show. My name is the Reverend Dr. Jonathan G. Smith, a.k.a. Smitty, and I'm your online pastor. And my goal, my passion, is to help you craft your life for a higher purpose. And on today's show, we're going to be talking up Thanksgiving and gratitude, and I hope you have a great, great Thanksgiving holiday. Perhaps you're listening to this after the holiday. That's okay. It doesn't matter to me because all it's all about when is convenient for you. Then here on the Grace on Fire show, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm amazed. I'm just amazed at what has been accomplished this year and all the things that I've gone through. And and I'll tell you that it's not been an easy year for the Smith household. Uh, not at all. We've had a lot of challenges. But as I look back and I think through all the things that have happened this year, I cannot tell you just how super grateful I am to have my incredible wife of 17 years um, by my side. I'm just telling you that is, let me just start off the show by saying what I'm thankful for. And the reason why I'm doing that is because we're talking today about the power of gratitude. And you know, I gotta be honest with you. It's not something that I've given a lot of consideration to mainly it's because I'm just royally screwed up. So I'm always trying to solve my problems. <laughs> I mean, you know, golly, what's the matter with me? <laughs> you know, and, and the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes I just focus on the negatives. I'm sort of a glass half full guy. I mean, I'm not one of those natural optimists. Hey, wow, everybody's sunshine and rainbows. I mean, I wish I was, but I'm Gen X. Not really. I don't know what I am. I sort of, sort of grew up after Gen X, but before the millennials. I saw this thing called an Xennial, which is really grievous to me because it's like, oh, you're neither one. You don't fit in anywhere. And that's always been sort of a, I don't know what it would say, sort of an insecurity of mine, right? <laughs> and so anyways, uh, here I am starting off with a negative, but let's get back to the positive because today we are talking about Thanksgiving and the power of gratitude. And you know, the truth, I, I just find that in any of the holiday situation that, I, that I'm in, oftentimes they're just incredibly stressful. You know, you're, you've got all these things that are going on, et cetera, and, and it just kind of stresses me out. And so, you know, how then do we consider and how do we cultivate gratitude? And we're going to be talking about gratitude more and more on this show because it is one of those very important uh, things that we try to, that we should be actively putting in. But, you know, before we just kind of dive deep into it, I thought what I would do today is just kind of turn our attention back and say, you know, what are you grateful for and how can you begin to practice gratitude? And I want to say this. For all of you who listen to Grace on Fire, and you've been following me now for for over the year, I just want to say thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for giving me the positive feedback. It's really encouraging to me. Thank you so much for sharing when uh, there was something that uh, impacted you. Thanks for reaching out and saying, "Hey, you know this this was good," or "Hey, I love this," or "Hey, this was 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 uh, really meant something to me." You know, because sometimes. 
I do this show and I have no idea how it's impacting you. And so I can only pray that somehow, some way, the work that I do is, is helping you. And so when I get those messages back, you know, it's just really, it's just positive reinforcement. And I'm just really thankful and grateful. So for, for Grace Nation, I'm so thankful for you hanging with me this year as uh, the show has developed, as things have been developing, uh, as I've been fine tuning my message about how to craft your life for a higher purpose and trying to dig deep into uh, the theology and science psychology of the world because I think that, you know, I want you to live a life of meaning and purpose. I don't want you to go through your life and get to the end of it and say, man, I'm just, I have so many regrets. You know, the trick of life is ending life with the right regrets, you know, and I remember, you know, 10 years ago, really coming to grips with this and saying, hmm, how do I want to live my life? And I didn't really know what I was doing. And so part of my goal is to serve as a guide to kind of help you think through your life and filling your life with a purpose and meaning. But that's kind of, that's just me saying thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity, giving me permission to come in and speak with you. So on today's show, what we're going to do is we're going to develop out this idea of the power of gratitude by doing a little street theology. I'm also going to do a dad life segment, haven't done a dad life segment uh, in a little while. So we're going to do that. And then also we're going to get right on to the feature presentation power of gratitude. So, let's get started. Here we go. Connecting deep truth for everyday life. This is Theology on the Street. And on Theology on the Street, we're going to be looking at Psalms 136. And, you know, there is a song out there. I think it's, um, you know, I don't even know who the guy is. Um, he's, he's one of the pop praise and worship guys. Uh, he's a real, real, what is it, Matt Redman? Uh, I don't think it's him. You know, send me an email. Can't think of it right now, but he sings that song, you know, give thanks to the Lord. His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. You know, we don't sing those kind of songs at my church because we're Anglicans. But, um, you know, the song is a great song. I think it's Michael W. Smith singing. It's a real popular song. I think a bunch of guys um, sing the song. But it comes out of Psalms 136. And Psalms 136 is a very cool psalm because it says over and over and over again, for his steadfast love endures forever. And what it does is it retraces the goodness and the faithfulness of God to Israel, to Judah. And if you trace it through, it just keeps repeating over and over and over and over again this phrase, for his steadfast love endures forever. Forever. Now, the word steadfast love in, in the ESV is a, is a translation of the Hebrew word hesed. And the idea of hesed carries with it this idea of radical commitment, faithfulness, that even in the midst of, of Israel's um, failure to follow God, God remained faithful to Israel and his covenantal promises. And the security that we get here is so important because you know if we think about the 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 culture that we live in and the truth is is i think that this is just i don't i don't think that this is just our culture i think that this is a perennial issue that plagues humanity and that is is that nothing really is consistent nothing uh is stable we cannot find stability 
in human institutions. We cannot find stability in our careers. We cannot find stability in promises made by other individuals. Why? Because of the fundamental problem of human brokenness, all right? That is a a theological principle that has to be embraced. And so, what we find here in Psalms 136 is that you see a juxtaposition here that all of these things are taking place, and the reason why the psalmist points, or, or the reason why God remains faithful to Israel is this idea of his steadfast love, steadfast love. At Redeemer, where I'm the minister, one of the things that I try to do is I say, you know, as evangelicals, we often talk about the, this idea of having a personal relationship with God. And um, the, one, of the, one of my criticisms of this idea of a personal relationship with God is that sometimes we treat uh, God as our buddy or our friend. And, you know, it, it's, it's, for me, I find as, as, a, as a grown man, while that was a um, perhaps a, a good idea when I was younger, say when I was a teenager or even a kid, you know, the God is my friend, you know, I'm a friend of God, all of those things, that there's something that I need as a man, as an adult man, you know, in my 40s, where I'm looking for something much deeper. I'm looking for something that I can stake my life on, that I can point to and say, no matter what happens in this crazy world, this is a constant. This never changes. And what I found by reading scripture and reading through the Old Testament, reading and through the Old New Testament, is this incredible commitment that God makes to his people. Now, this isn't, you know, and, and I think one of the things we have to be careful here is that God doesn't just sit up there and he's constantly committed to us, that it is a reciprocating relationship. But even when I mess up, even when I am broken, even when I do things, I can consistently come back to a loving God. Now, love is not an, ooh, I love you. It's, it's faithfulness. Imagine this for just a moment. And, and I think that one of the best examples is always the, the parable of the, the um, prodigal son. You know, the prodigal son there's two sons in this story. There's the good son and the bad son. The good son stays uh, with his dad. The bad son wants to go out and party. He says, Dad, you know, give me all my inheritance. I need my trust. I'm a trust fund baby. I'm going to go out and party, and I'm going to blow through all my loot. And that's what he does. He ends up, you know, basically dead broke. Uh, you know, you could even parallel him as a junkie. And then one day he comes out of his his cloud, and he says, shoot, my my dad's servants live better than I do. And he, you know, takes he goes back to his dad and his dad doesn't convict him or condemn him or do anything, but he, he celebrates the return of his prodigal son. That is a beautiful illustration here of the steadfast love, the, the faithfulness of God, even when, even when we doubt him. I have met many, many people, educated people, theologians even, who get to to get to a place of despair in their lives, and and what it is is it's not that they don't know theology. That's not the issue. In fact, what happens is is the more you study, the the more you realize that there's all kinds of competing views. But what I found was is that when they can wrap their heads around the faithfulness of God, what you find and what you can return to is 
this this stability that even in this chaotic world that there is a organizing principle a stabilizing force and it is this all-powerful supreme god that even in the midst of all of the troubles, even in the midst of the hurricanes, even in the midst of market forces, even in the midst of breakdowns in our families, which is usually due to our own stupidity, right, guys? I mean, even um, even in the midst of all of that, we can continue to come back to this stabilizing idea of God, and that stabilizing idea of God is rooted and grounded in His character, which is love. Not lovey-dovey-dove but faithfulness, the kind of love where you realize a loving father is there for you even when everything in your life has broken down. And I find that that's an incredible, incredible understanding. And so what the psalmist does is he says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. In other words, he's not a bad God. He's not a distance God. He's not a God that's going to abandon you. He's not even a God that's going to condemn you when you strike you down with a lightning bolt because, you know, he wakes up one day and he decides he's just mad, you know, at human beings. No, that this is a God who is stable, who is loving, who is character. And it's incredible to see. And so I just want to encourage you to think through this idea of God's covenantal faithfulness being the grounding and the, and the foundation of our relationship between he between us and him and to stop and to listen to the psalmist and then this week especially give thanks to God for his steadfast love endures forever and that brings us to our dad life segment how to cultivate gratitude in your kids when they're absolutely driving you crazy, when they're complaining about what you give them to eat, complaining about what you watch on TV, complaining about the school, complain, 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 complain. Yes, yes. You ever just get sick and tired of that? <laughs> I gotta tell you what. I, uh, so yesterday I take my kid to McDonald's because, you know, they're young and they don't care about health. They don't care about any of those, uh, you know, things, you know, you care about that. You try to get them to eat good food and you, you put, you know, healthy things, healthy choices in front of them. And they go, I don't want to eat that. And it just drives you crazy. Or even my favorite is you go to a lot of trouble. You, you create all of these wonderful dinners for them. And then they just sit there and frown and turn their faces at it. And they're like, I don't want to eat that. I mean, you know, I mean, that's just, that's just kids, kids being kids. I mean, we have kind of a weird dynamic in our family right now. So my middle child will, uh, he went through a phase here where he wanted nothing but macaroni and cheese. And it had to be, you know, craft blue, blue box macaroni and cheese, you know, the kind with the yellow powder. We're not really sure if it's cheese or not. It's just cheeses. I'm not sure what cheese powder. And then, uh, then my youngest, who's only a few years uh, after him, he doesn't want anything to do with Kraft macaroni and cheese. So what are you supposed to do, right? You make one for him and you make the other for, or you make something else for the other. And you get into this impossible situation where you're just like, are you kidding me? 
how is it possible that you both can come from us and like two different things and have two different responses to the same kind of food? It, it just drives me crazy. And if you Google this, I mean, you'll find all kinds of articles out there. And, and I'm not going to give you advice about what to do because I haven't figured it out. But what I can tell you is that it seems to me that the kind of lives that we cultivate in our families, the kind of values that we cultivate in our families um, is, is really reflective of our culture. And the reason why I could say this is because when you go to a different culture, you see different dynamics taking place in children. So, one of the most striking things to me, and I think it's striking to me because it's the first time that uh, me as a Westerner has ever been into a third country and actually going into a community within a third country and seeing what life is really like. And that experience for me happened a couple of years ago when I was in Guatemala. And uh, I'll go into a city dump, all right? And we're, we're, now I'm, let me just explain this to you. I'm talking about a major urban city, all right? A major, a major urban center in Central America. So, you, you fly in, uh, you see all the modern things, you know, available. Um, and in fact, what's remarkable around Guatemala City is you, as, as soon as you get out of the um, airport, you know, I mean, the first thing you see is a McDonald's, and, um, and which was an interesting experience, by the way. I'll have to share that another time. Um, the guy... <laughs> You know, here I am, you know, this gringo that comes from Florida and uh, the missionaries pick me up and says, hey, are you hungry? And he said, I'm like, yeah, you know, I haven't eaten anything. And um, except for the little crackers that they give you on the plane. And so uh, he goes, well, fine, I'm going to take you to a place that's safe and good. And he ends up taking me to McDonald's. And I was like, okay. And he's like, but don't drink the ice. You know, don't eat, take any ice. And and that's because you don't want to get uh, Montezuma's Revenge where you sit on the toilet for an, uh, for the next day and a half. I was only going to be there three days, so I had to be very careful. But um, anyway, so he takes me the next day and we go down to the Basurero, which is the city dump. And there's a community there of about five, 600 people that uh, lives there. And uh, there's more than just one Basurero, by the way. But in this particular community where uh, the missionaries were focusing their attention, you had about 500 people there. Most of them were uh, women and children. And um, what we were going to do is we were going to have a service, and he was planting a church in this community, which if you stop and think about that, that's a pretty remarkable story in of itself. And I've, we've talked about this before. But what was so amazing, what's, what, what I walked away from that experience was I walked away remembering the smiles on the kids' faces. I remember the smiles that um, I would see. And I would think about, these kids have no idea about the situation that they're in, which should tell you something a little bit about the human capacity to adapt to whatever environment that you find yourself. In other words, you know, if all you know is this, then you will normalize this to your life and say, this is just the way life is, even when there are other options out there, even when there's a whole world out there. If all you know is the Basiro, all you know is living life and making a, a life in a city dump, then that is your context you know, then you don't know any better. Now, what was remarkable to me about that is that it with, even within this context, I remember uh, as the missionaries, we were there, and so the missionaries are, are doing their work, 
And uh, they took me around to a couple of um, sh- uh, sh- shacks, you know, 10 by 10 shacks. And what was so incredible was watching the boys play, watching the boys play with, uh, get this, a ball. And I thought, well, this is pretty crazy. I mean, they're, what are they doing? And I saw them doing what little boys do. They were running around, chasing each other, you know, laughing, just having a great time. And these boys were probably six, seven years old. And I thought, you know, happiness, happiness is a relative emotion. These boys have nothing. They were going to go to bed that night. Uh, It was going, the temperature was probably going to drop pretty low. In fact, I know it did because it it dropped down into the 40s because they're up in a mountain region and um, they don't have, you know, central air or heat. Um, I, I don't even think they had fireplaces uh, where they were. I didn't see any anyways. Um, they probably had nothing but blankets and they would huddle together that night and they would go to sleep and there was mosquitoes all over the place. I mean, it was just a, you know, for me, gringo boy, I would be completely miserable if that happened. But these boys, these little kids in that moment were happy. And so that made me realize something about happiness itself. That is, it is an emotion. It is an emotional response to our situations, and it can come and go. And so the question is, how then do we cultivate not happiness, but gratefulness? That is to say that if we can be happy in that kind of situation, then why can't we be happy in other situations, especially when we have so much, like particularly here in the West, you know, I'm in Florida, you know, it's beautiful right now. I've got, I'm surrounded by all this equipment. I'm in my, the comfort of my home, in my home studio recording this today. I mean, I've, you know, I've had a a wonderful bagel for breakfast and some warm coffee. I went for a jog this morning. I mean, it's pretty nice. I mean, I'm living a life right now. And the question is, is, am I grateful for all of this? Well, I can honestly tell you that I haven't taken the time today to be grateful for it. And so my question is, is I wonder if I am cultivating gratitude and demonstrating gratitude to my children, or have I done something else? You see, one of the questions that I've asked myself, and, and you know, is that kids in the way that they grow up, in the way that that I've observed, is they, you know, you can instruct them verbally, you can tell them what to do, but most of the time, they're going to watch you and emulate you. And in fact, that's pretty much what most psychologists say, is that our kids just basically repeat the behavior that they observe in us. And I really hate that because I'm terrible. <laughs> I'm totally, I'm not, I just totally own that one. And so, one of the things that I've I've recognized that if I want to cultivate good mental health into my children, then I need to figure out a way to practice and cultivate gratitude. So here's a tip for you this week. Practice teaching gratitude with your kids. You know, I would say intentionally expose them to those who don't have the same things that they do and yet can still be happy and thankful so that they understand, you know, what they have, but not just about what they have, but be grateful for what has been given to them in terms of, of the relationships that they have, from, in terms of um, the schools, the education, everything that you pour into these kids and constantly bring it back, in my opinion, 
you bring it back to the steadfast love of God. And now it's time for our feature presentation. And that brings us to our feature presentation of the week, Unleashing the Power of Gratitude. You know, you got to love copywriters. My wife's a copywriter. She's a fantastic copywriter. She, she's always talking to me about how to put words together and, and um, those sorts of things. And I'm a terrible copywriter. I'll just be the first one to admit. And she's like, yeah, yeah that's right. And, you know, she can say things in four words that takes me 400 words. And uh, she's probably more effective at it. And so I'm not talking about unleashing the power of gratitude, but I do want to talk about the power of gratitude in the sense of the power of shift of shifting and shaping our mind. You know, as I was said at the very beginning of the show, this week is Thanksgiving and like all holidays, there is a lot of frenetic energy happening. Like I'm recording this show on Monday morning. Usually I don't record it this early in the morning, but I'm doing this because I literally have such a condensed week that I have services, special service on Wednesday. Then Thursday, we're taking off to go uh, a two and a half hour drive over uh, to the west side of the state. And then uh, got to prepare for Sunday. I've got all of this a condensed time. The kids are going to be here. I've got to get all the service planning and all the other stuff done. Plus, uh, because I'm having this big social event at the church, I have to plan all of that. And I literally only have about, you know, 50 hours to pull all of this off, maybe, um, you know, in terms of uh, total time. Um, maybe it's an actual amount of 16 hours and I still have to do everything that I normally do. And so this condensed time can create a lot of stress and it and stress um, can build in our lives and we can actually lose the whole point of Thanksgiving. And so I think that we have to stop and realize that that is a danger of the way that our culture practices our holidays. I mean, there's planning, shopping, inviting, traveling, all of those things. Um, you know, then we have to watch football and I don't know about you, can't get excited about football this year, um, but, you know, that's not important right now. But all of those things happen. And then you will, you know, talk with people and they're like, oh, I'm so exhausted from the holidays. And then you'll hear people say, you know, it's my favorite season. Um, they don't li- they like Thanksgiving more than Christmas. It's probably because, you know, Christmas time can be um, Christmas is a tough season uh, because you have all the gifts and shopping and, and those sort of things. And so. The question is, is how do we how do we extract the true purpose of Thanksgiving out of this and look at it and say, you know, how am I thankful? How can I be grateful? And so I was doing a little research on this and I came across this article uh, on the Huffington Post. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. I highly recommend that you read this article. It's, it's, it's good. Um, I'll share it out on social media as well. Um, so if you catch it, you can read it. But, you know, in this article, it's talking about the differences between positive psychology and negative psychology. And so what's the difference between these two fields? Well, in psychology, most of the time, what people are focused on is their neurosis, right? They're focused on their depression, anxiety, fears, the problems that they're having in life, and, you know, finding ways to overcome those things. But the but there was another development, which was positive psychology, which uh, really had a new uh, uh, research emphasis about three decades ago. Now, theology and philosophy for thousands of years has talked about 
um, these positive psychological elements. So, truth be told, there's nothing new here in the sense of you know, yes, we need to be uh, forget or forgiving. We need to be grateful. We need to practice happiness. We need to be altruistic. None of those things are new. Um, in fact, the Bible talked about this way before, um, you know, any of the, the philosophers talked about this. So this is, you know, as the psalmist is writing, you know, King David is writing this um, in all of his different psalms. I mean, he's, you know, a thousand years, two thousand years before Christ. So, you know, part of human anthropology has always recognized the differences between positive psychology and negative psychology. So, you know, when we hear and read articles like this, you know, we probably should say, well, yeah, okay, of course. But one of the things that we're learning um, through this study is just how it impacts us in terms of our overall well-being. So it's not just a, well, we should be grateful because God commands it. We should be grateful because our actual physical health depends on it. See the difference? In other words, you know, there's a life or death aspect to this. I'm not going to say that if you're ungrateful and miserable that you're going to, you know, die. But think about all the guys that you know, the sort of curmudgeons in life who, you know, they're mean as hell and they end up living a short amount of time. Why is that? Is there a link to this? Well, you know, this is where positive psychology comes in. So positive psychology was a field um, that was really pioneered by Martin. uh, I think you say his name, Seligman. um, But what he was basically asking, what is the effect of positive emotions, forgiveness, happiness, altruism, and gratitude? And what they discovered was, not surprisingly, that these were associated with good mental health. And out of all of the ones that showed the most positive correlation to good mental health, believe it or not, was gratitude. And I mean, that's pretty cool. So this was some of the benefits that came out of these gratitude studies, okay? First of all, improved physical, emotional, and social well-being. I mean, I think that's probably, you know, pretty amazing. Um, Greater optimism and happiness. Improved feelings of connection in times of loss or crisis. Increased self-esteem. Heightened energy levels. I mean, think about that one for a moment. If you're just miserable all the time, you know, you're ungrateful for everything, you know, nothing, nothing can make you happy, you know, usually you're feeling pretty sluggish about life as well. You know, usually your energy levels are low because, you know, your your brain cannot muster enough positive energy to get you through the day. Um, this one is really important, especially for guys like me in their middle age. Strengthen heart, immune system, decrease blood pressure. Let me just tell you, if all you need to do is to uh, to help your cardiovascular system is to be grateful a little bit more. Wouldn't you want to do that? I mean, isn't that the easiest thing to do? You can go jogging. You can take heart medicine. But wouldn't you just rather be thankful? I mean, goodness gracious, guys. <laughs> this seems like a no-brainer to me. Uh, here's another one. Improved emotional and academic intelligence. Now, I don't know about the academic intelligence, but I think it's pretty amazing that they actually correlated gratefulness to academic intelligence. I've met a lot of people with academic intelligence. By the way, academic intelligence really is just understanding facts and information. It's not wisdom. 
But it is amazing to me that there is a correlation between gratefulness, good mental health, and being able to learn. But think about also this emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence really is just being developing self-awareness of your mental state. Now, I want to tell you that particularly in times of, of heightened stress, if at work or whatever, and you're facing a situation where you're, you know, things are just difficult, just being aware of your emotional state can propel your career forward and it can help you go through a crisis. Um, at Redeemer, We've been going through a crisis at our church where our giving is just down. We've made some some changes to our ministry, and as a result, giving went down, and and that's just because of some people that said, "Hey, we're, we just can't go that direction with you." And I, you know, I was sorry to see them go, um, and as a result, it did have a negative impact on our giving. And so, because it had a negative impact on our giving, we had to make some very difficult choices. We had to release some people. And, you know, I remember going through this and just feeling so stressed out of my mind. But then I started practicing just emotional intelligence. And I just asked myself, how do I feel? And the answer is, is I feel sad. Just, you know, people say, how are you doing? I said, well, I just feel sad. Now, people don't know what to do with sadness, okay? So, sometimes I would get this, this information, you know, I'd get feedback like, well, of course you're sad, it's going to be okay, and then try to encourage you and all that stuff. And, and I don't need encouragement anymore about, you know, if things are going to improve or decrease. The reason is, is because as I've lived enough life, I know that things go through cycles. So, what was powerful for me was to be able to just simply say, I feel sadness, and allowing myself just to process through the sadness. Well, you know, this past Sunday, we had a great Sunday, um, even with the folks that were no longer there. It was tremendous. Um, I was really excited about it. And, you know, it's, it's as if our church is just going to keep moving forward. And, and that was really exciting to me. But if you can develop emotional intelligence by becoming aware of, of what's going on inside of you. And one of the ways of doing that is is developing gratitude. Then why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you do that? Another uh, benefit of gratitude that they list here is this um, expanded capacity for forgiveness. Now, <laughs> listen, this is, this is a funny one to me because I as I think about the expanded capacity for forgiveness – if, I mean, there are a couple of people in my life that have been very difficult to forgive. And I dare say that I perhaps have not been as successful as I tell myself. And so it's a, it's an ongoing process. But, you know, the truth is, is that if you can get to a place where you can forgive some of the most despicable people in your life and you can release those emotions. And you can do this by beginning to develop gratitude for perhaps the way that these despicable people positively impacted your life. Then that's something to consider. I'll tell you a, a quick story here. Uh, there's a person in my church who was in a horrible marriage for three decades, and the spouse was incredibly abusive to this person, and even to the point of physical abuse. And when I talk with this person now, what is amazing to me is how they can say, even though this was, it was awful, had I not gone through that experience, I wouldn't have understood this part of life. And I'm grateful for it. 
Now, that is an amazing thing to say. That's an amazing point to get to, that you could take something negative and you can turn that into a positive, into this expanded capacity for forgiveness, all through gratefulness. Another benefit of gratitude here uh, is it decreases stress, anxiety, depression, or headaches. Um, You can improve your self-care. There's also a greater likelihood to exercise. You know, if you're just practicing this positive aspect in your life, you know, hey, you you know, well, I feel pretty good. I think I'm going to go exercise a little bit. Um, I mean, these are all just incredible benefits of gratitude. But I think that there is something here that's worth even considering this. And this is one of the final benefits that they that they list here. And there's about 10 of them that we've gone through. But um, they talk about this heightened spirituality that is the ability to see something bigger than ourselves. Well, that takes us right back to Psalms 136, doesn't it? This ability to see something bigger than ourselves. When we're so focused on the negatives in life, What we actually are doing is that we're putting ourselves into a victim mentality. We're actually saying, I am a victim of my circumstances, and life is out of control, and it's terrible. And when we say that, and we actually create a victim mentality, we trap ourselves. And so what is the opposite of this? Well, instead of creating a victim mentality, we can develop a victor mentality and to acknowledge that something is bigger. And when we can say that, when we can say, you know, despite what may be happening in my life, I am so thankful for this. And what that does is it actually surrenders our lives back to God. And it says to God, it says, you know, ultimately, God, you're in control and I'm not. And I'm thankful for everything that I have. So those are the benefits of gratitude that um, this particular um, this author was talking about, I, you know, and if you just listen to those, I mean, I think those are pretty incredible. So how do you do this? How do you begin to develop a grateful, um, you know, or how do you practice uh, gratitude? I was going to say, how do you develop a grateful heart? I mean, which is kind of Christianese, but I mean, how do you practice gratitude? You know, there's, a, there's many different ways and you could probably uh, think of a few, but no surprise, one of the first things that they said was write down the things that you are grateful for. In other words, keep a gratitude journal. I don't know how many times I've talked about journaling on this show. Uh, journaling continues to pop up in all of the literature that I review on um, personal you know, development as the number one tool for moving your life forward. I mean, you know, if you want to reject that, you say, I'm just not a journaler. Well, that's fine, but I keep telling you. I keep pointing it back. All the literature says that there's this positive aspect of journaling. And so what it says was just take two to five minutes here and write down the things that you're grateful for, you know, practice saying thank you to others, you know, but I want to say this most importantly, take a moment to give thanks to God, our father. On this Thanksgiving season, as we get into the holiday season, things are going to get super busy for you. And let me just encourage you that if you get to this place of frenetic energy where everything is just, you know, you know, going as fast as it can and, and you feel yourself stressed out, take a moment, stop and consider what God has done for you and be grateful to him for it. And that brings us to the end of the show. I hope this benefited to you. Thank you so much for listening. You know, gratitude is a difficult one. 
but I believe it's worth it. And now, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen and amen. Listening to Grace on Fire, a Verb Creative Production. For show notes, links, and more, please visit mygracenation.com.